who's the person you turn to when you need advice, the person who gives you confidence and strength, the person who's been your biggest support, the person you shop with, ask their opinion and trust them implicitly. For me, it's... Hi, Ma. Hi, Del. As a mother and daughter, we know we have a close bond, but each mother and daughter relationship is unique and different, and that's exactly what we want to explore. Each week, we'll sit down with mothers and daughters and talk about their bond, from the ones who work together to others who have survived, shared passions, overcome loss, and in general, have a great relationship that is worth sharing. This is Mothers Mothers and Daughters Daughters Podcast. Hey, Mum, it's your daughter, Nicolina, your favourite one out of the three, of course. Happy Mother's Day. I hope you have the best day as not only an amazing mum, but also the most amazing grandma in the world, or should I say Bubba. You are my beautiful boy Noah's favourite, favourite person in the world, even more favourite than his own mum, me. And I love you very much. Have the best day. Hi, Mama. Happy Mother's Day. It's also coinciding with your 70th birthday and I just want to tell you how much I love you, what a force of nature you are and that you are my ageless muse. I love you so much. Happy Mother's Day to my mum, Helen. Thank you for adjusting your dreams to give us, your daughters, everything that we have ever needed and for teaching us how to be women who are passionate and brave like you. I love that you extend your mothering to women in the community who weren't as lucky as we were. Lots of love, your daughter, Ariel. Hi, Ma. Hi, Del. How are you? Good. Just want to thank everyone for those beautiful Mother's Day messages ahead of Mother's Day. So... Happy, happy Mother's yeah, Day. Happy, well, happy, happy Mother's Day to everybody. I was really. going to say Happy Mother's Day, early Mother's Day to you. Yes. Thank you. Happy Mother's Day to you. Thank you. And I have a a message from your other child. Oh. Yes. That's nice. I know. He says, Happy Mother's Day to the best mum in the world. Oh, that's I, lovely. I thought he was going to say, from your favourite child. I know. I, 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 <laughs> love, I love that line when he said that, you know, like, who's your favourite uh, child? And remember he said... Why yeah. did you pick me? Yeah. That was very funny. Obviously, that was very memorable to me. Yes. Poor thing. He's not feeling well today. Yeah. So we wish him better. <clears throat> and I'm sure by the time this episode comes out, he will be just fine. Yes. Thank goodness. Thank and goodness. Yes. And happy Mother's Day to all the wonderful mothers and grandmothers out there. Yeah. And mums to be. And like I said in our stories earlier this week, if Mother's Day is particularly triggering because you're grieving the loss of your mom or God forbid the loss of your daughter. There's a great episode with Danielle from Motherless Daughters. She's incredible. So I would encourage everyone who is feeling that way or wants to understand someone who is feeling that way to check out that episode because that's that's always a good one. Yes. And think about it. We've done this podcast for a year now. Because yes. we launched last Mother's Day. That's we when we... Oh, I yeah, didn't even think even, about yes, that. It was on, yes, it was on my mind that it was a, a year, year ago. A year ago. God, it feels so much longer. Where are you, Goldie Horn and Kate Hudson? <laughs> been trying for a year. I how long it's going to take for a year. Goldie and Kate to come up again. Yes, anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in. I should throw that in. Yeah, always. Yeah, always. Um, on today's episode, it's actually a two-parter. We've got Rachel and her mum, Wendy, and it's an incredible story. She lost her wonderful baby, Mackenzie, and from that created the most unbelievable 
response and government response to losing Mackenzie due to something as simple as, well, it would have been identified if she would have had genetic, genetic testing, testing before, yes. yeah, which is, wasn't available. Um, and thanks to Rachel and, and she does credit the family behind her as well, all yes, their hard her work, husband, her yeah. husband, her parents, her in-laws, everybody for really helping and, and for helping her write the book, Mackenzie's Mission. She has been able to get funding so that families can have genetic testing to find out ahead of time and make the decision afterwards. So after the loss of Mackenzie and many rounds of IVF, she was lucky enough to fall pregnant with her baby, Zach. Yes, isn't that wonderful? Which is amazing. And she started the process again, but surprisingly, has, and after many rounds, this was, I think, her 10th or 11th round of IVF. She's fallen pregnant naturally. She's just announced that on Social media a couple of weeks ago. Isn't that lovely? So nice. Although she also just got COVID. So wishing Rachel oh, all the best. Oh, no. And a speedy recovery because yeah. she literally can't get out of bed. So poor thing. Uh, so hopefully hopefully she's better soon. Yeah. Um, but she's very excited, also very nervous because there's a long, long road ahead. Mm. She's got obviously they're very well aware of all the genetic testing and the and everything that she has to do in order to have this baby. But we wish her all the very best and thank her for her amazing sacrifice mm. as as a mum to use her loss for such an incredible some people good. Some people are just awe-inspiring, yeah. you know, that – you know, it takes a tragedy to to turn something around mm. for the benefit of other, so you know, others. others. So, yeah. you know, you have to admire incredible people like that. Yep, 100% we do. And so we thank Rachel and her mum, Wendy, for their time. And so this is part one and part two will be released next week. Happy Mother's Day. Can you both tell us a little bit about yourselves? Uh, do you want me to go first? Go for it. Okay. Um, so my name is Rachel Casella. Um, I'm a police officer with the Australian Federal Police. Um, oh, up until probably about five years ago, I would have said that my life was fairly standard, fairly normal going on that sort of trajectory of find your partner, settle down, have kids, etc. Um, life definitely took a turn for us. We got um, pregnant with our daughter Mackenzie um, and she passed away when she was seven months old. Um, so at, at 10 weeks old she was um, diagnosed with a terminal genetic condition called spinal muscular atrophy. So her diagnosis and her death has uh I can't even express how much it's impacted us and our life. Um, since then, I have found myself in the world of uh, campaigning for change around genetic carrier screening in Australia, um, an advocate and campaigner for IVF, um, genetic screening in IVF, as well as the cost of IVF. 
Um, so yeah, I'm a mother to Mackenzie and now my beautiful son, Isaac, who has just turned one, uh, which took us nine rounds of IVF to get. We're just entering our 10th round of IVF to see if we can get one more baby to complete our family. Uh, I'm an author of a book called Mackenzie's Mission. Mackenzie's Mission is also the title of a research project that the government um, announced in 2018 uh, after our campaigning. So that looks at how to bring genetic carrier screening to Australia and make it free for all. Um, that was actually just announced uh, last week. Yeah, I saw um, that. That's yes. Congratulations. Yes, so thank you. So um, the th- top three genetic conditions from next year will be uh, the test for it will be offered to everyone. So because um, all of us have three to five genetic conditions in our DNA that we could pass on to children mm-hmm. and in those top three, uh, one in 20 carry one of those top three that's been screened for so still a lot more to advocate for but that is pretty much a great start me in a nutshell it's a pretty impressive it is bio so far in a in a a very short very short time yeah yeah Yeah, thank you and mum oh well so um my name's wendy bannum uh i uh Grew up in Canada and emigrated to Australia when I was in my late teens. Um, I'm, uh, I think, uh, probably not quite sure what to say about myself, but one of the things that's kept me here was a lucky chance to meet my husband on a blind date. And Mm. otherwise I would, uh, I probably quite possibly wouldn't have been stayed and certainly Rachel wouldn't have <laughs> come into existence. Hmm. Um, and we settled we settled down to raise children, uh, eventually moved to Canberra. Um, I joined the Commonwealth uh, Public Service and went uh, to work in the Department of Health, Commonwealth Department of Health, um, had a great career there. Uh, <clears throat> I left to um, to pursue uh, uh, an amateur career as a writer, and uh, and uh, currently I, I I spend what time, spare time I have to doing that, but of course I'm a mother of two, grandmother of four, and uh, that being a grandmother has actually uh, added a whole new dimension to my life. I I've. Uh, and I'm sure we'll pursue uh, that a bit more uh, later in the podcast. Lovely. So. And you were saying, though, that you, which is a very impressive thing, that you're a writer and you've written articles on short stories and you're working on a nov- on novels, and so that's also pretty impressive. Especially when you retirement. you've retired. Oh. That's, you know... Usually most people just <laughs> retire and play golf. Retire and play, yeah, well. Yeah. Yeah. What you do as well. Well, I do that too. I do I do that too. But, uh, yes, I, I've, I've always loved uh, reading, writing. Uh, it's been a passion of mine for a very long time. And uh, even if I wrote just for myself, I would still do it. And clearly you obviously passed that on to Rachel, obviously. Uh, you know, you obviously have the gift 
Rachel, of writing as well. So obviously that clearly came, I presume, from your mum. Yeah, I um, it was really strange. I never actually had done any writing or was interested in writing until I was writing about Mackenzie in the book and writing about motherhood and grief and all the elements of it. But um, it ended up being something that I really, really enjoyed doing. I've written a lot of articles since then and I'm really quite passionate about how you can use your words Mm. to educate and to to help other people not feel so alone and now it's one of my passions. Mm. But um, I'd say I do remember in my university degree my parents teaching me a lot about writing skills, so... Very. Yes, it runs in the family, which yeah. is nice. And it was, I, I was going, going to say it was interesting to watch that um, evolve as Rachel began to write uh, because I could see straight away that she had, um, she, she, she really had something there. And, um, yeah, it was really, it was good to see how that developed. Uh, uh, it's fascinating. Mm. I, I agree. It's a wonderful skill to have. It really is. Well, I think you've either yeah got it or you don't, and clearly you both do. And Wendy, what was Rachel like uh, growing up as a child? Um, that's probably it's hard to say because uh, um, of course there's so many things I could say. Uh, I would say. She was always quite a quiet child, um, uh, although <laughs> you might not know, you might not think that seeing her now, but she was quite quiet, uh, uh, you know, a little bit reserved, but uh, she was always very kind and thoughtful little girl. I remember even when she was a toddler, if if uh, if uh, she got a cookie, she would always ask for an extra one for her brother. So I, oh, I that's was, sweet. that was a lot yeah, really, really lovely. Uh, um, uh, he did not do the same, great. but to me. <laughs> it well, usually yeah. happens when... Let, let's keep this positive. <laughs> positive. Is he younger or older? He's obviously uh, younger. Younger? He's, he's, he's older. older. Oh, he's oh, older. He's older. Okay, that's surprising because <laughs> yeah. younger ones usually would just take. Well, the other thing I would say was she was always very curious. I was asking questions about the world, and um, and as, when she was a little older, I, I saw that she was always a very loyal friend, very uh, very, um, you know. She didn't chop and change as as much as you might expect. She was she would stick with friendship group. Um, I think that's probably all I'll say at this point. <laughs> Just sticking with the positives. Huh? Just to keep with the positives, I see. <laughs> um, well, if you want, the, if you want the other side, the the, the uncensored a, version, yeah, uh, yeah, you can but, be sorry. truthful. Uh, I just want. Well, you were also uh, Rachel, somebody who, uh, once you got an idea in your head of something that you wanted. Mm. There was no stopping you. You just pursued it relentlessly. And um, and I can even remember a little campaign you did when you were about seven or eight where you wanted your ears pierced and you did a, it was like a, a letterbox campaign but with little <laughs> post-it notes around the house. 
<laughs> was she successful? Yeah, was she successful in the end? <laughs> yes, you were. Well, there you go. See? Well, you know, you know, you know what she did. No, she didn't convince me because I was, I was absolutely determined she wasn't going to have that this until she was a bit older and I felt could make a reasonable decision. So she went to her dad and said. Something along the lines of, Mum said that I can get my ears pierced. Would you take me down to the chemist? Yes, okay. And down he took her. <laughs> and, of course, that's, yeah. I only, I only needed to yeah. convince the weakest link. Listen, so. <laughs> you saw what you needed to do and you got it. I got it. That's determination. <laughs> it's, it's a good skill to have. It's frustrating as a parent. I know that. But still, you kind of look back and you go, that's. You know, it's impressive at that age to. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah. Rachel, yeah. do you remember when you were growing up what you said you wanted to be when you grew up? Um, yeah, I went through probably the same phases that a lot of kids, you know, you want to be that actor, singer. Um, so, but I also really had this strong right from an early age I had a really strong desire to like that right right the wrongs and so I wanted to be a criminal lawyer by day and a rock star by night <laughs> was the plan covering all bases um, yeah 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 just to fill my time yeah. um yeah and then it slowly moved into forensic psychologist mm. it was always around law um at one stage I wanted to be a blood blood spatter expert and my mum was not very keen on that. I love that that's like, an, a like thing. A, such a specific job, but mm. clearly it's necessary and it makes sense why you eventually went into the police force because that would, I, I mean, I wouldn't think most kids would think of that as a specific job. Uh, no, I mean, it was when I was a little bit older, but I can say that, um, yeah, mum was not as impressed about I can understand why. That side of things. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. Wendy, when um, Rachel said she was going to become a police officer, obviously, as you say, a federal, what, what was your reaction? Um. Well, I will say I was I was pretty nervous about the idea because I, I felt that uh, I possibly didn't know as much what it involved as I didn't. I think my mind immediately went to, you know, running down criminals and tackling them, that kind of thing. And and I was I was worried because, you know, Rachel's not the biggest person in the world. You know, she's she's um, and, you know, I, I just was worried about the physical side of it, I guess. My family um, used to call me um, vertically challenged. Mm. Vertically challenged. Yes. Um, and, uh, uh, in fact, when when she was a, a, a cadet or, is that correct? Um, recruit. When you were you doing your training, recruit, sorry. When you were doing your training, they had to find especially small uh, uniforms and equipment for her because, they didn't normally have to outfit somebody quite so small. No, but did I need to say that? No, uh, but probably not. <laughs> um, no. So my husband David, uh, what was that? 
No, I was just saying, <laughs> probably not, yeah. but that's okay. Probably not. Um, my husband, David, was always much more enthusiastic um, about that idea. And I, I did worry about the dangers, uh, the potential for her to have to handle dangerous situations. But once she went through the training and she was able to show me how well she, uh, well, you know, she'd demonstrate what she could do, um, not just physically, but also in terms of that kind of psychological aspect of dealing with difficult people. Um, I, I realized that she probably was more capable than I had thought. Given her and credit for. Yeah, I relaxed a little bit. You know, I just, just thought, okay, I think she can do this. You were happier than when she said she wanted to be a blood splatter expert. Well, in fact, uh, when she was studying that, I remember having to review, help you with by reviewing one of your assignments and thinking, and, you know, complete with photographs, of course. Sure. And I'm looking at this thinking, oh, you know, this is not what I want to be doing. I don't want, <laughs> you know, this is not what I want her to be doing. But anyway. <laughs> but you clearly always had that criminology side to you. Yeah. Because it was always something you wanted to pursue, which is incredible because we we definitely need we always need people like yourself and your husband, obviously, who want to do this and, and have a passion for it. Yeah, um, I think it's you know, there can be some difficult conversations in um in society around police, um, and there has been over the last few years, but I I do know, and, and some of them are very important conversations to have, but I also do know that the people who I work with are so passionate and they give up so much of their time and so much of their time that they could be with their families because the job needs it. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of people who are very passionate behind the scenes. And I guess if you hadn't done it, you would have never met your husband. So it all worked out. In yeah, the end. it was perfect. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Wendy, what was it like for you when you found out you were going to be a grandmother for the first time? Um, well, so uh, uh, I became a, a grandmother. Excuse me. <clears throat> I mean, sorry, just to say, <clears throat> I became a grandmother. Do you want to go and get some water? Get some water. I might in a minute, but mm -hmm. uh, I think I'm okay. Um, so I became a grandmother when my son, Chris, who's uh, uh, about three and a half years older than Rachel, when he had his first child. And uh, he's got two now, by the way. Um, and the idea of that I was so old suddenly that I had grandchildren was pretty confronting. And I think it took me a little while to sort of think, no, it doesn't mean you're old. It just, you know, it just means that you've reached a certain stage in life, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it took me a while to convince myself that this was, this could be a positive thing, not to look at it at the negative, from the negative side. So I think it was all about my own sort of perception of myself and what I, who I thought I was. But once, um, once, uh, it, it became a reality and, and, and I had grandchildren, I, I realised 
what a, an amazing and wonderful and joyful thing it is. And, you know, the, the it, it's just uh, added so much to my life um, um, that I, I um, even though there's still that dimension of, oh, you're a grandparent, so you're an older person, but I do love being a grandparent, spending time with my grandkids. And it also, I think it, it's given me an opportunity to spend time learning, you know, because as a parent, there's a whole lot of things going on and you're not always able to be as present as you'd like to be. As a grandparent, you can sit back a little bit. You can reflect on, on what you did as a parent. You can try different things. I think I'm also learning to be a lot more patient um, than I have ever been, um, which I might not have had as much capacity for when when they were growing up because life is so busy as you know it's different it's and if different. you're if you're a working parent it's it's you know you're juggling both your working life oh. and your home life and exactly right you know when you're a grandparent you can you know as much as mum is still working but you can take some time for yourself and actually really enjoy the the process of like your grandchildren growing up because you have the time and also they're usually better behaved for grandparents than they are for their own parents. So that helps too. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. Yeah. It 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 is I don't know what it is, but you know, it's like I say to the to the to my grandkids when they come into the house, okay, this is what's expected of you. This is, you know, um like you take your shoes off, you wash your hands, you know, all those sorts of things. And they kind of think, oh, yeah, this is what we do here. <laughs> yeah, don't ask for them. Uh, don't ask so to do lovely. that at home. Yeah, they won't do it. Yeah. Still a bit, no, of, a, no, bit, a, bit of a struggle when I ask them to do that. Like I have to ask them 10 times to wash their hands. But anyway, yeah, I get, I get them get, eventually. They, get it, they yes. get it eventually. And, Rachel, if I can ask you, how did you feel when you became a mother? Um. Like I had found a purpose. Um, it's not that I, it's so different when you, before you have kids, you feel like your life is so full and you feel very, well, I felt very happy with my life and the stage that I was at. But then having Mackenzie just brought this huge added level to life and it just opened up even more and I felt like I've said before, when I was pregnant and when I was pushing the, the pram with Kenzie in it, I just had this little sort of strut in my walk because I was part of this incredible new group and it just, yeah, I was um, on top of the world. I mean, it's an amazing feeling because you think, like you said, your life is full and, you know, you, you love your partner and you think how can adding someone in change that or grow your love even more? And it's just incredible how, I mean, it, you you do carry them for nine months, but still it's like in an instant mm. you've got this other person in your life and it's just instant love and, and your heart just grows yet again. And it's so strange because, I mean, obviously that has to happen because the first six months or so is, it's hard, like, you know, the sleep deprivation is is real and it is, is a hard, um, hard six to 12 months, especially at the start. But 
that feeling just outweighs all of it every yeah and we were really lucky that um johnny had eight weeks off when i had mackenzie so we really had we had these two months in this beautiful blissful little bubble um where it was just us and um we got to know each other it was yeah perfect for that first little while which is really nice as new parents to be able to have that time i mean i'm very grateful i had my parents and my in-laws at our disposal whenever we needed it. But it's also very nice as new parents to have that time to yourselves because you've got a new yeah. little person and, you know, it, it does change things. It does. I wish my I wish we lived closer to our family. We really struggle with that. But we don't want to, we don't want to move. They don't want to move. So we're kind of stuck in this situation where, where we're in. Um, yeah, no one particularly likes it, but it is what it is. So, And your, um, your in-laws don't, they don't live near you? No. So all of our family, except for Johnny and I, all live in Canberra. Oh, I see. The so in-laws, the right. smart thing, we know the smart thing would be to go to Canberra and trust me, both sets of parents, especially when Mackenzie got sick, mm-hmm. um, definitely campaigned quite vigorously for it. Um, oh, but, made subtle, gentle suggestions. Mm, yes. Everyone was, was as subtle as a sledgehammer. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, yeah, it wasn't the right thing for us, especially with Mackenzie's care. So, yeah, it's unfortunate. Mm. And can you share, I mean, how you felt? So Mackenzie was diagnosed at 10 weeks. Did you notice anything before that or was that just one of her checkups and then they picked something up? Um, we didn't notice anything at all. Um, in hindsight, like oh, we were first time parents, so sure. we didn't know what we were looking at, um, in terms of her movements. Um, in hindsight, when we look at videos before 10 weeks, we can see it and don't know now how we didn't see it. Um, but at 10 weeks, I was just having a consult consultation with a lactation consultant. So, um, not even with a um, with a doctor um, or um, a nurse for an actual medical checkup. It was just something that a very observant um, consult lactation consultant observed, and um, she said, "I don't think Mackenzie's moving the way that she should." Um, and from there, we fell down the rabbit hole of medical appointments and within two days she'd been diagnosed with a terminal genetic condition and we were told that she was going to pass away likely before she reached eight months old Mm. so our lives changed um you know we say that your life changes in an instant when they're born and then our life Mm. changed again 10 weeks later when we were told that this beautiful beautiful girl had who had become how everything was now going to be taken away from us. So, yeah. Mm. Did you feel um, supported by, you know, because I've spoken to other mums who've had, you know, long-term diagnosis, did you feel the moment that Mackenzie was diagnosed that you had that support 
from. I don't think Jordana means family. No, but from the medical, you know, from doctors. And did you feel like you, you know, I mean, it was two days in between them, you know, when you started consultations and, and when you got the diagnosis. But did you feel like you were supported as new parents who weren't aware of this to start off with, that you were supported by the medical staff? Um, so f- from from the time that we were told about from the lactation consultant, it was a quick appointment an hour later with a GP the first appointment we could get in with paediatrician was two days. So in those two days, we were very alone. We felt like we were on um, a desert island mm. with no one anywhere near us um, in terms of medical professionals. We had a very bad interaction with the paediatrician who diagnosed her. Um, he was quite, um, I guess, quite callous and clinical in his discussions with us and that was uh, very jarring for us to be hearing that news and then in such a way. Mm. Um, But from the time that we, the next day when we met um, who would become um, Mackenzie's neurologist, we we had a wonderful, uh, I'm still, we're still friends with her today. Mm. Like we, um, we have had a very, very, good relationship with a lot of medical professionals like we've had to go through IVF we've had to go through Mackenzie's care we've had to go through endometriosis and all sorts of we are very very lucky in that we can say that we have found our group our little medical village around us I know a lot of people who have not been as lucky and who have had really bad uh, relationships and I don't I wouldn't wish that because you just, you need that, you need that village, you need the people who, you know, we, we got medical professionals <clears throat> who were happy to give us their mobile numbers and for us to call, like, message them at any time like that is a care that is not fair for the medical professionals, mm-hmm. but it was certainly what we needed. And um, we had a few uh, bad moments where, um, a couple of people that we asked to not be around us or Mackenzie's care a couple of times, um, but they are not the standouts. So it's, um, I'm really thankful for that. Mm. And to both of you, I mean, after the, you know, initial shock of Mackenzie's diagnosis, how how was your day-to-day life? Like what what, you know, how did you deal with it? What changed? I, I can't even. I mean, I can't even imagine what you went through at the time. I, you know, I, I, I don't even want to even try and imagine. It would have been awful. But how did how what how did you deal with life? Um, I would say that I shut down probably initially. Um, I I don't remember. A whole lot. I I have a flicker of memory of speaking to the parents and telling them. I have a flicker of memory of um, I just remember sitting on the couch holding Mackenzie and I just remember wishing, praying, crying, begging, trying to find some way that, you know, to wake up. Um, 
I remember I didn't want to eat. I couldn't sleep without medication. Um, the first few days were um, very much like a nightmare um, and you feel like how am I not how am I not dying? Like mm. with this news, surely you, surely there's only so much one human can mm. take and surely I'm going to, I'm just going to die from heartache. But um, after a few days we realised, you know, that our parents, both sets of parents um, raced up to, to Sydney to be with us and I just remember everyone sort of wandering around the house in, there was always someone breaking down. Um, I remember people trying to feed me um, and people talking around. Um, but then eventually we, Johnny and I, had a quiet moment and we just sort of looked at this beautiful girl who was still smiling and searching for entertainment and we realised that even though it was very justified, we were being quite selfish in having all of those emotions and waiting in it as opposed to focusing on her and what she needed. Mm. And what she needed was two parents and four grandparents who would entertain her and play with her and make her smile and dance. And because she didn't have that movement, she couldn't entertain herself as much as a normal baby would. So, you know, we were her entertainment, mm. we were her love and we needed to show her that. So um, from then onwards, every single moment was about her when she was awake. Every time she slept, that was our, or I remember my time to cry was when I went and had a shower and I would just sort of sit in the bottom of the shower and cry. And when I wasn't doing that. We were campaigning for change or looking at holiday places to take her to next because we wanted her to experience um, as much of the world or of life as possible. So it was a very busy um, seven months and 11 days. It was very much focused around trying to find a balance between we really resisted as many medical appointments as we mm. could unless it was something she needed just because we didn't want to uh, live in that space. We didn't want her life to be filled with medical appointments unless it was necessary. So we would have some time at home where we were able to just absorb time as a family. We would have holidays and we would just, I had a book, I still haven't opened it yet. I haven't got there um, where every single day I would make sure there was someone, something new for her to experience, whether it was a new weather sensation, whether it was a new person to meet, a new cafe to go, a new sight sound, and I would take a photo and I'd put it into her book and mm. write next to it. So, yeah, it was um, people ask how you get through it and you just do because mm. there's very little other choice and the other choice is not pleasant either. So, It's incredible that you d chose to take the positive side of things, you know, rather than, as you say, go to medical appointments if you didn't need to or sit at home and constantly have that grief. You know, you gave yourself, which more than justified, to have those moments, but you kept it away from Mackenzie so that she had a full 
it wasn't a full life, but the time that she did have was and and to make that conscious effort of giving her different sensations and going to different places is is a testament to your character and your husband's character because for some people, you know, they just, they couldn't have done, they might not have necessarily been able to have done that, but you did that for for her. I'm really thankful to past us. Like I don't know how to, I don't know how to thank my husband for he's just this big goofy clown ball of happiness and um, he really brought that spark out in me and in for her um, and sort of I feel like I took the lead when it came to campaigning and change um, and cuddles but he very much took the lead in um that happiness factor that you know that playful enjoyment of life and um you know she was a really smart little girl um sma doesn't affect the brain in fact it almost heightens the intelligence because of the um not using a part of the brain to be able to use for physical skills and so she was very expressive and so you know, we knew that she was very easily picking up on the emotions and that we were sending out into the world. And so, yeah, I'm really, really proud of all of us for giving her the life that she did have. So, yeah. must have been so hard also for you, Wendy, to see Rachel and John and, you know, go through this. Uh, it's like, I, I mean, obviously you were all there as, as a, support but it's just I, I can't imagine you know like you're obviously all very strong people uh, I, I'd agree with that I, I think um, I, I remember that having that um, uh, you know video call with Rachel and Johnny um, and hearing that news and it was like we we you couldn't take it in. You just couldn't take it in that that you that we were being told this this is what had happened, and um, and I think that sense of disbelief. I mean, they talk about the stages of grief. I think the sense of disbelief we had what went on for quite a long time. That because she, because Mackenzie. Um, you know, unless you perhaps knew what to look for, she's just looked like an, every other baby of her age. She was, she, she, there was nothing obvious there. So I guess um, it took us a while really to absorb the news and to, to realize uh, what that meant. But I, I feel that after that initial shock, it, we became very focused, as Rachel said, on, on what we needed to do, what we had to do. Um, certainly our focus was very much uh, as well as um, caring whenever, when we could and, 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 and enjoying Mackenzie was in supporting uh, Rachel and Johnny um, in whatever way we could. We, that was, that was just, that just became uh, um, a, a given. And it was almost like there was an unspoken agreement amongst all of us that we just needed to make the most of the time that we had with Kenzie 
that we had to make every moment uh, count. But at the same time, there was no sense of um, we weren't forcing it. We were just enjoying being with her, in, enjoying the, the delightful um, uh, little girl that she, she was. And so I, I, taught, I, I sort of call it, in a sense, almost like a deliberate amnesia. We decided, no, we're not going to dwell on that. We're going to dwell on she's here, she's, she needs us, and, um, and we need to, to, to not, I won't say get on with life, but it was a bit like that. It was like, well, she's here, she's here, she's with us, so, so let's make the most of it. Um, and one, but one thing that did change, and, and uh, Rachel will agree with this, I'm sure, was that we became hyper aware of hygiene, of not wanting to pass on any anything like minor illnesses like colds. We became sort of, <laughs> or even before COVID, we yeah. became experts at, um, at at keeping the you know down the the risk of infection. Mm. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> and so. When did you start campaigning? Because obviously, did you realise fairly soon after Mackenzie's diagnosis that it was possible? Obviously, you would have to have asked for genetic testing, but when? how did that process happen in terms of finding out, you know, the sort of the fact that you it, – <laughs> Could have, been avoided. could have been avoided. I mean, you don't want to say that in a way because no, clearly there's a silver the lining. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's um that's that's come up a lot in terms of we are so, so very thankful for the time that we had with Mackenzie and we would it is the some of the best months of our entire life and you know, if you can condense the love and time you have with someone in your lifetime down to those seven months, that's what that meant to us. But um, it's also been, you know, pure torture watching her pass away, watching her take her last breath. You know, we wouldn't wish that on um, any other baby. And so, yeah, we uh, the first, I'm very much a type A personality. I'm very much a researcher. That's, I'm, uh, I don't think anyone in my family would disagree with me saying that I am, I like control. Um, and so for the first few days, very unlike me, I didn't research because I was just sort of in that sort of weird, awake coma um but then once I started researching I found out that there because we had done every test every test before pregnancy I mean I got Johnny to test his sperm before we even started trying like you know we you went through we the, were, the checklist which most people we don't did do everything mm. in in before pregnancy and during pregnancy so to find out you know, and I was researching, you knowing is there any way we could have found this out? And we discovered that there could have been, there's a simple saliva swab that can, <laughs> like a saliva swab that it just was, I, I couldn't fathom it at the time, that this swab could tell you what you 
have like what genetic conditions you hold in your DNA. As I said before, every single one of us carries genetic faults that we can pass on to our children. On average, people um, carry three to five genetic conditions. And so it really matters who you get together with and have a child with that determines what your risk as a couple is of having a child with a severe or lethal genetic condition. We found out that it's only offered to people who have a family history of genetic conditions, but four out of five children born with a genetic condition have no family history. So we were just like, I felt like I was shaking with rage. Um, This was all uh, within the first three or four weeks after she was diagnosed. Um, We didn't have any family history of SMA, but it turned out that both Johnny and I carried it and so together we unlock so it's called a recessive genetic condition which means that each time we have a child there's a 25 percent chance that they will be affected by that genetic condition um we also discovered on genes for genes day website that one in 20 children is born with a genetic condition or birth defect which is absolutely mind-blowing like obviously not all those genetic conditions are severe or lethal but it's you know, a, we started a lot when you so. think how many kids are born a day. Yeah. That's, you high, know, that's high. That's high. And, yeah. and you know, it's in Australia, which, you know, reduces it even like it just makes it so tangible. Um, and to think that it wasn't available, like it's not available until now, thanks to your hard work. You know, it, it's it's just incredible the, the pain and the suffering that you went through will help so many other parents not have to have the same. And that's what we wanted. We knew that it was um, sort of, in a sense, too late for us. We had already found out and we did do further genetic um, genetic testing because it is very rare but it's not unheard of that sometimes couples can have um, a couple of genetic conditions that that sort of make them at high risk. So we did have further but we knew that it was pretty much too late for us but um, so the month after Mackenzie was diagnosed, we started campaigning the government. <laughs> so um, we found out in May 2017, we started campaigning, sent the letter in June. Um, in October, Mackenzie passed away. And then by the next May 2018 was when they announced the $500 million genomics <laughs> um, project for Australia and then Mackenzie's mission, the research project. So it was pretty quick and and that's um you know we're very thankful that the people uh that were in place in government were open to learning about genetics and that there were a lot of medical professionals that were also pushing it so um it really got um traction a lot faster than a lot of these campaigns get uh, which we're actually really thankful for Mm. because the faster this gets you know every day more babies are dying, more families are hard, having heartaches. So, yeah, we're um, pretty proud of our little girl. I'll say. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you have a mother and daughter story that you would like to share, send us a DM on Instagram at Mothers and Daughters Pod. If you loved this episode, please subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss a new episode. Spread the love and share the podcast with your mum or sister or friend. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast. See you next week and don't forget to call your mum.